0: We are studying in the book of John, the Gospel of John, in chapter eight, and uh, we'll begin in in verse twelve. Let's pray together, Lord Jesus. we're, We're so thankful. To be here this morning as the body of Christ, um, a church family. To have people that you bring to the church that are gifted in all kinds of different ways. To build up and encourage and strengthen the rest of us. Praise you for that, Lord. We we praise you for your word that you've given us. It's perfect. Um, Word that is so authoritative and works so mightily that it, it changes our hearts and it causes us to, to worship you and to love you and to learn how we could depend on you even better, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, that, that on this morning that you would speak to us powerfully through your word. May we all be ministered to and, and um, may, may you just meet each one of us where we're at here this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, we finished with verse 12 of John chapter 8, and I want to look at that verse again, and then we'll continue through um, our text this morning. But Jesus here in, in, in John 8, verse 12 says, And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We, we looked at last week how this is a, a clear um, message and, and, and what he said was very clear to all of them that he is God himself, that it is God incarnate, God with us, that as he says, I am the light of the world, it's, it's going right back to God and his shekinah glory, being with God's people, and it's right there at the end of the, the celebration in which the, there, there's the lights that are there and they're remembering the way that God led the people with the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud going through the wilderness. And Jesus is there as the lights have been extinguished. And he's there in the temple and these lights would have still been there and they had just been extinguished. And Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. When you saw that, it was pointing towards me. Well, the Pharisees are there. In verse 13, and they say to him, You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. You bear witness of yourself. You say things like this, but it's not true. When you start looking at what we believe as Christians, it's possible for us to. to be in, in a place where you're in this world in which there's all different kinds of religions, whether it be Judaism or the Hindu faith or Islam or Buddhism or atheism or whatever it is that people believe. And you may come to a place of saying, Well, how do we know? I mean, how how do we know that it's true? If Jesus says, I am the light of the world, if Jesus makes it very clear that that he is the fountain of living waters in whom if we drink of, we'll never thirst again, if, if he makes it very clear that he is the one that has always existed, that he is God himself, that he is the one that all of the Old Testament has been pointing towards, how do we know that what he said is true? Now, these guys were listening to this and and. Remember that there is this hatred for him that such that that they want to put him to death. They're trying to put him to death. They would do anything to put him to death. But they're there saying, you just say these things. You say things like this. It's your testimony. You bear witness of yourself, but it's not true. That Jesus answers and says to them, even if I Bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from and where I am going. Imagine we know who Christ is, we see his deity, but imagine him being there, and here is the one that has always existed. He created everything that exists. He speaks things and they're there. He, he speaks for light to appear and there is light. He speaks and, and has earth appear. It's not something in which he's laboring and working or taking billions or millions or whatever years to do. He speaks things into existence. He's one in, in, in whom he is perfectly holy and all that he says is true. All that he says is right. He made these people. He knows everything about them. He knows the number of hairs that are on their head. He knows their thoughts when they're still afar off. He is the one in whom all glory belongs. And he's there in the temple. And these guys are saying, what you say is not true. You bear witness of yourself. What you say is not true. And Jesus' response is incredible where he just says, even if I do bear witness of myself, even if I do, My witness is true. It is true. I know where I came from. And I know where I'm going. You do not know where I come from. And you do not know where I'm going. I have knowledge that you don't have. There's divine knowledge that I have that is so far above any kind of human knowledge. He alone is the one that could bear witness this, to this on the earth. He alone is the one that has knowledge that has always existed in the Holy Trinity. And he's there saying, I do bear witness myself, but you guys have no idea. Well, from there, Jesus says in verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no, no one. These Pharisees are making judgments upon Christ by their own sinful flesh. They look at Jesus and they look at him and they say, you're a man. You're a carpenter. You're you're one, we we know who your parents are. Joseph, Mary. And Jesus is saying, you judge according to the flesh. They can't get past the fact that he's there in this body and, and not looking at all to what God has said throughout creation as far as in his revelation and that there would be this child that would be born, and it would be the Messiah, that would be God himself. They're looking at him there, and not thinking of Isaiah 9, 6, where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This isn't what's going on through their minds. They're looking and saying, You, you bear witness. You are a person. You bear witness of yourself. How can your witness be true? It's not true. And Jesus is saying, "No, it is." Jeremiah twenty-three and verse five it says, "Behold, the days are coming," says the Lord, "that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is the name by which he will be called." The Lord our righteousness. He's coming and he is righteous. He will be called the Lord our righteousness and he will come from David. Jesus says, I judge no one. Jesus did not make judgments the way that these men did. He knew all things. He knew his deity. He knew his mission. He knew that he became a man so that he could go to the cross and he did not make his judgments according to the flesh. Jesus goes from there in verse 16 and says, And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. When Christ makes judgments, you can know with absolute certainty that it's true. You can know that it's perfectly accurate. It's an incredible statement here where he says, But I am with the Father who sent me. A statement of Christ's deity, his oneness with the Father goes right along with John ten thirty, where Jesus says, I and my Father are one. And they knew what he meant. It tells us the next verse that they picked up stones to stone him. But here Jesus says, I'm with the Father who sent me. In verse 17, he says, it's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. You say in your law that there has to be the testimony of at least two witnesses. Well, I bear witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. There's two. You've got to know that these circumstances are different than what you would do in any kind of judicial situation in Israel. Here it is that the Messiah has come. Here it is the one that, that has been promised has arrived. And Jesus is saying, there's my witness and the witness of my Father. We look and see that witness revealed throughout Scripture. was how, how, how the Father's witness testified? It's amazing when you just begin to look at Scripture. Genesis 3, 14-15. From the seed of the woman, the serpent's head would be crushed. My father gives testimony. Sins enter the world, and from the seed of the woman, the serpent's head would be crushed. There would be one that would come from the woman, and whom would crush Satan's head. See in Genesis 49, verses 8 and 10, and Micah 5-2, that, that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. He'd come from the tribe of Judah. Then you look and you see the genealogies in the New Testament and the genealogies of Christ that make it clear that Jesus came from the the tribe of Judah. That he is, as Revelation tells us, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came from the tribe of Judah. Micah 5.2 tells us that he would be born in Bethlehem. And Jesus was. Isaiah 9.7 and 2 Samuel 7 and Jeremiah 23 tell us that Jesus would be born from the lineage of David. And Scripture makes it clear as you go through the genealogies, that Jesus came from the line of David, that kingly line and lineage of David. Isaiah 7 tells us that he would be born from a virgin. This occurred. Psalm 72 tells us that kings would bring him gifts. And we see the kings from the east bringing him gold and frankincense and myrrh. You look in in Scripture and you see, in Zechariah it tells us that he would come Riding into Jerusalem on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. We see that take place on Good Friday. Isaiah 29 tells us, and Isaiah 35 tells us that he would cause people who were deaf to hear and the blind to see. And Matthew eleven five says, The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. I mean, you just go through and you start looking at the Father's testimony. These are the things that you know will happen. These are the things that you will see when the Messiah comes. These are the things that you are to look for and all of it is laid out. Malachi 3.1 tells us that there would be a messenger that would go before him to prepare the way. And we see John the Baptist, messenger, going before Jesus to prepare the way. We're told that The Lamb of God, our Passover Lamb, would not have any of his bones broken. John 19, 31 tells us when they came to break Jesus' legs, he was already dead, therefore they didn't break his legs. We're told that he would be hung on a tree and become a curse for us. Jesus was crucified. Psalm 22, verse 16. Over 800 years before it happened, said that they would pierce his hands and his feet. These are things that should just blow us away when we look at it and just see Psalm 22 over 800 years before his hands, his feet would be pierced. He would hang on a tree. The method of execution of crucifixion wasn't even invented near this time at all. It wasn't invented until a few hundred years before Christ came. So over 800 years before, it says he'll be pierced. His hands will be pierced. His feet will be pierced. Details that are given. Micah 5, one says they'd strike his head. And they took a staff, and they struck him on the head over and over again. Matthew 27.30. Psalm 22.18 tells us they'd cast lots for his clothing, and they did. John 19.23 and 24 tells us that they cast lots for his clothing. We're told that he'd be thirsty during his execution. And he was. He hung on that cross, and one of the words he said, or one of the phrases that he said was, I thirst. You think of all of the methods of execution that have existed in the history of this world, whether it be being beheaded, or, or firing squad, or hung, or whatever it is as far as forms of, of execution. This is written for 800 years before, saying he is going to thirst during the time of his execution. And he did. It tells us that they would offer him sour wine and vinegar. And he was. It tells us that he'd be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41 verse 9 and Psalm 55 verses 12 through 14. And Jesus was betrayed by, by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. And it told, told us that he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. We're told that in Isaiah 53 verse 12 that he'd be buried with the rich. And upon Jesus' death, Joseph of Arimathea, this rich man, took him and had a brand new tomb with this 2,000-pound stone in front of it. And took him and buried him in the tomb. A form of, of, of burial that would only be reserved for the rich. And it told, tells us that he'd be buried with the rich. It tells us that he would be killed with transgressors, and he was, as he had two men, one on each side of him on the cross. Tells us he'd rise from the dead. Psalm sixteen, Psalm forty nine, Psalm eighty six, and he did. I mean, we're just scratching the surface as far as the testimony. Testimony of my father says that I am he, and these guys are looking saying, "You alone bring witness." And he said, "No, it's me and my father." All throughout Scripture, it is all pointing towards him. You you may be at a place here this morning and say, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if it's right. I mean, you're talking about details, incredible details, given in the life of Christ as far as where he would be born, how he would die, where he would be buried, that he would rise again from the dead. All of these things with just incredible detail. 30 pieces of silver, casting lots for his clothing, thirsty in there, being offered sour wine and vinegar. These are the things that would happen. Kings would come and bring him gifts. Who of us could say, like, well, my kid's born? More than likely. No, actually, definitely. Kings are going to come and bring us some gifts. I I don't expect that. You don't expect that. We can't determine where we're going to be born. We can't determine any of that. And yet testimony of the Father, the testimony of God's Word is, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is speaking to these people, and we can look at the list, I mean, from the lineage of David, from the tribe of Judah, all of the things that we've mentioned. Then you go and say, think about what he was doing there with the people. and The testimony of the Father and his testimony, the authority comes and you look and you see some of the things that he did. Turned water into wine. People are there saying, like, you brought the best wine out at the end. Calming the storm, the waves, the wind, they obey him. We can't do that. Feeds 5,000 people, men, not counting the women and children. By multiplying the fish and the loaves. Them there and all these little baskets left over from just some loaves, a couple loaves and fish and it's there and just multiplying it. Boom. Here it goes. Here it goes. Here it comes. Probably 20,000 people fed that day. He walks on water. Everybody saw it. He walks on water. He heals people who are blind. I'm willing. Goes through, puts mud in their eyes, spits in the ground, puts mud in their eyes. Go wash your eyes out. They see. Just speaks to them and they see. Causes people to rise from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. He was at the point of stinking. Lazarus, come forth. He comes forth. He heals those with leprosy. They're there and people are throwing rocks at them. They're walking around unclean, unclean. He goes out. No one's touched these people from the time that, that they contracted this horrific disease. They're living in leper colonies. Jesus goes and just reaches out and touches them. I'm willing to be cleansed. He casts out demons. He makes people who are lame walk, he heals the deaf. He causes a coin to come out of the fish's mouth to pay the taxes. Miracle after miracle. If you were to plan it so that... Let's make sure that they know that he's the Messiah. What other things would you want to happen? What other things would you expect if, if, if prophecies are given over a thousand years before Christ comes, given incredible detail of his life, prophecies given 500 years before he comes, 800 years before he comes, given just incredible detail of this is where he'll be born, this is how he'll die, this is how they'll execute him. Here's the lineage. This is, you'll be from David in the tribe of Judah, and this is how it's going to work and just gives incredible detail. So that everything happened just the way he said. I mean, I, I could maybe plan some things in my life. I can maybe say, well, I want, I want to make sure that I live in this town at least once. But you, you and I both know there's lots that we just can't be in control of. We, we can't just, I don't care how badly you want to. Like, you can't just go make blind people see, deaf people hear, no matter how much you want to. We can't make lame people walk. We can't go fishing and say, just go catch a fish and take the coin out of its mouth. just can't do it. There's things that you just can't do. And Jesus just works in incredible ways. I think the testimony of the Father is made even further clear with Christ rising again from the dead. He goes to the cross. He dies. He prophesies before that He would spend the three days in the heart of the earth, and then he would rise again. It's prophesied even before that, that he would rise again from the dead. Psalm 16, 49, 86. But he rises again from the dead. He rises again from the dead, and, and not only does he rise again from the dead, but he appears to the people. There's little things with the resurrection that we ought to think about. Like, who are the first people that he appears to? The women. The women are there. If you're going to make up a story of a resurrection, you're not going to say, and the first people to arrive that he appeared to were women. Because, sorry ladies, your testimony in that day would not be allowed. You could go to court and say, this is what happened. It doesn't matter doesn't matter. Your testimony is not allowed because they didn't allow the testimony of women back there. Not a good thing, but that's how it was. And so if you're going to make up the story, you don't say, okay, he appeared to women first. Yeah, that's what happened. And you're not going to look at this and say, well, these disciples made it up because they were just like, these passionate passionate people that were just set on this truth and didn't matter whether he died or not they were going to stick to their story no matter what not at all what happens he's arrested and they all scatter they all go into hiding nobody's there to be like yeah oh, let's you know let's stick with him to the very end they're all hiding they're all looking from a ways off last thing that these guys wanted to do was to die at that particular time. They just don't want to. But he appeared to them. He appeared to the disciples. And all of a sudden, these guys that ran away, all of a sudden this this man who denied Jesus three times, even to a little, a little child, are willing to die for their faith. And they're tortured. They're willing to go to three different continents, leave Jerusalem, leave home, go all over the world to people that they don't even know to go and proclaim the truth of the gospel because they knew that they saw him. These people who had no strength even to bear with their best friend when he goes to the cross now go to the uttermost parts of the world proclaiming the gospel. Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. 500 people one time. 500 people don't hallucinate all at one time. And he appeared to them. The witness of the Father is further revealed as you look at his baptism and transfiguration. Jesus is there in Matthew 3 and verse 16 where he's baptized and he comes up from the water and the heavens are open to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him and there was a voice that came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The testimony of the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. At The transfiguration in Matthew 17 and verse 5 While still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the clouds, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. He appears. The Father says, This is my beloved Son, as he's shining there in all of his glory. And so you look at the evidence, and Jesus, these Pharisees are saying, you just give testimony of yourself. You say these things, but it's just it's just you that says it, and it's not true. And Jesus is saying, My testimony is true. I can bear witness all by myself. I am God Almighty. I have always existed. But I also have the testimony of my Father. And here is what you see in Scripture, and boom. We just we did we nailed like a couple dozen of them just now. There's hundreds of them. Evidence of The miracles that took place. We mentioned a few of them. There's so many that you couldn't record it all in Scripture. We look at the resurrection and we see that you can't force yourself to rise again from the dead. And yet, he rose again from the dead. He appeared to all of them. The witness. Well, they say to him in verse 19... Well, where's your father? Where's your father? At this point, there's sarcasm, I think, in these guys' voices. You're born of a virgin, Virgin Mary. Where's your father? And Jesus answers and says to them, You you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. You don't know me. You don't know my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. In Matthew 11, verse 27, Jesus says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son will reveal him, wills to reveal him. Or also in John 14, verse 7, Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. It's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The father. So Jesus, in this passage, is they're saying, "Where's your father?" And Jesus saying, "You neither, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father. Also, when you see me, you see the Father." I, I love that. I, I love that he said that. I love that Jesus says, "He who has seen me has seen the Father." You want to know what God is like? Look at Christ. And for people who say, well, to me, God is like, I mean, God to me is just like energy. That's not what God's like. God has revealed himself to us in his son. And oh, how we love him, don't we? I mean, you you think the different worlds in which God could have created a sovereign God who creates everything that exists. He's not weak. He's not pathetic. We we, we serve a God who creates everything and says it's good. Here's this tree. There's this tree in the garden. And you can eat of all of the trees, but don't eat of this one tree. And, and even before that, you have the serpent. You have Lucifer who's there in heaven. And, and, and God casts him and the other demons down to earth. I mean, you look at, like, man, that was a bad idea. Why not just, like, destroy them? Or why not put them in, in hell, like, immediately? Why let them be there? I mean, it's, it's really gone bad as far as Satan and what he's done. And you look at the world and all that's taking place. And some of us may look and say, like, ah, I wish that he just was destroyed immediately. Or well, why the tree? Why, why put a tree there in the garden? But P- please know that when man ate of that fruit, God did not sit there and be like, oh, man, this, I sold you all the trees. And you, no, I never thought you were going to eat of it. I mean, you had so many choices. God is not this, this God that is looking at the decisions that we make and is just like, okay, action, reaction. I'm gonna There's a plan. He didn't put the tree in the garden not knowing what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. He knew. He knew Adam and Eve would fall. He knew that all of the human race would fall with him. He knew that in the days of Noah, the inclinations of the people's heart was only evil continually. He knew that he would flood the earth. He knew all of these things would happen. He knew what his people were like. He knew that they would complain and complain and complain and wander and commit adultery against him. He knew all these things. He set up a whole sacrificial system. All that was there was set up to point to Christ so that we would be able to see God in the Son. There is a plan. He's not the author of evil. For sure, he is not the author of evil. People make their decisions as far as sinning and, and we're responsible for it, but he decreed things to take place. And there's a sovereign God that's looking at it and in charge of all of it. And when we are here on this Sunday morning, on, at this particular time, we look and we see the Son, Christ. And like I said, oh, how we love Him. A God who sends His only begotten Son, Christ who lives a perfect life, fulfilling all righteousness, all holiness. A God who humbles himself and comes in the form of a baby and is born in a stable and wrapped in swathing cloths and laid in a manger. A God who creates all things and yet he has people pluck out his beard, put a crown of thorns on his head, whip him 39 times with a cat and nine tails. Tells us that by his stripes he be, will be healed. I mean, even hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. A God who creates the nerve endings, in which would be those that would have nails driven through his hands and his feet. A God who creates everything in such a way that we would look at perfect holiness, a lamb without spot or without blemish or any such thing, who is slain, A, a, a one who would come and... and, and and just as a sheep before a shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And he humbly went to the cross, and there was a plan to go to the cross, and he was determined to go to the cross, and no one can stop him, and no one could arrest him, and no one could do anything until it was his time to go to the cross, because there was a plan for all of us to be able to look at the creator of this universe, the Son of God himself, and be able to look and say, we see the heart of the Father. A God who says, let the little children come unto me. A God who weeps with those that are weeping. A God who, who touches the leper. A God who demonstrates the fullness of his love as he goes to the cross. In John 1.14 it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw him. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we got to see his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We are able to see in Christ the Father who's full of grace and truth. You think of Ephesians 2.4 where it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Rich in mercy, a God who is rich in mercy. You're able to see him being rich in mercy because of the state, the condition of us being dead in our sins and trespasses, and then you see Christ go to the cross. and It makes us love him. When you think about full of of the riches of grace and riches of mercy, you think of everything that has been created, He's not rich because he created all these things. He didn't create the universe and create the planets and say, well, now, now I'm rich. Now I have the whole universe. He was rich in grace and rich in mercy and rich in glory before he ever created any of it. He created these things to display it. Just to display it. So that we would see the Father in the face of Jesus Christ. We love him. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He suffered for our sins, that he might bring us to God. We see the heart of the Father. In Hebrews twelve two, we see that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. A God that is, is full of joy to where there is this joy in him to display his grace, to display his mercy, to save for himself of people. That even as he's going to the cross, it's the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. And we look and we say, this is our God, how he loves us. verse 20, says, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Just to emphasize, if they could have laid hands on him, they would have. If they could have killed him, they would have, but his time had not yet come. This verse just screams sovereignty. We read that verse and it's just, God said, they would have. But until the time had come, they couldn't lay hands on him. He spoke in the treasury. The treasury is that area of the temple where there's these thirteen bronze chests where the worshippers would come and bring a portion of what the Lord had given them to him. so he's there speaking. And Jesus says to them again, verse 21 I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I go you cannot come. Oh, what a verse. I'm going away. He's going to die he's going to rise again from the dead and he's going to ascend into heaven these people are still looking for the messiah but jesus says you're going to die in your sin those those words should scare us if we we're unbelievers die you will die in your sin Revelation 14, verse 13 says, I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Blessed. I translate that to, Oh, how happy. How happy are those who die in the Lord. Who die in Him. Who die And they have his righteousness placed on their account. Oh, how happy are those who die in the Lord. Jesus is saying to these guys, you are going to die in your sin. You're going to die and you're going to be covered with your sin. And you're going to stand before the judge. And you'll be condemned to all eternity in hell. You're going to die in your sin. But oh, to those who die in the Lord. And there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And Jesus says to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. You're from beneath. All you think is just in this fleshly, sinful, humanistic way, I'm not from beneath. The truth that I'm giving you is from above. It's divine truth. I am God, and I'm telling you these things, and they're true. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. We're able to know truth because this is God himself that has revealed these things. If, if your mind is in a place of like, well, how do you know? Go back to what we had just talked about. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Resurrection appears to the disciples, appears to the women first, appears to the 500. Look at the lives that have been changed in this room. Not to mention throughout this world. I mean, what atheists could come and say, like, hey, I want to bring these people that their lives have been radically changed by my atheism? I mean, they were once drug addicts, they were once alcoholics, they were once this, they were once that. Like, I just got to show you these people have been radically changed by my atheism. It just doesn't happen. But you look at people, you guys, we have been radically changed, haven't we? Therefore, Jesus says, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. For the unbeliever who might be here this morning, listen to that one more time. Because this message that goes to these Pharisees would be the same message that would go to any unbeliever who is here. Jesus says, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, meaning the Messiah... You will die in your sins. Well, they respond to him by saying, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. Meaning, I am God. I am the light. I am the fountain of living water. I am the one who has always existed. I have many things to say say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard from him. And they didn't understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. There were people that heard that on that day in that temple that were saved. Radical. They had a new heart. They were made new creations. Their sins were washed away. They entered into the family of God. They believed, their eyes were opened. I pray that the Holy Spirit would so move in this particular place that there wouldn't be one person that leaves here without believing. And for us that are believers, what a God we serve, huh? The way he spoke, the way he worked, the way he continues to work, we have great security that we serve the true and the living God. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you we thank you for this passage of Scripture that is just powerful, so powerful. We thank you that you, through the work on the cross, have made it so that we who have faith in you do not have to die in our sins, but we can die in the Lord. Oh, how happy are those who die in the Lord. We long to see your face. We long to spend eternity with you. I pray right now, Lord, that our hearts would just be overflowing with adoration towards the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.